All right. Well, I really, 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 really hope you can hear me because I shot this whole lesson, this whole video, and turned out great, except for you couldn't hear me. <laughs> so here we are again, round two. Either way, this is your first time joining me. So welcome. I'm so glad that you decided to join in on this revelation study. We're going to be ambitious. I, I did this on um, the, the original video was about just just over 30 minutes long. So I think we can we can pull this off. Uh, roughly about 30 minutes is what I'd like to keep it 20 really, but we're going to be ambitious. We're going to try to get through chapter one, verses nine through 20. Uh, and so that means I'm not going to be able to say everything that we talked about or said uh, at our in-person study, uh, because we spent two weeks on this portion, this, this, this uh, portion of the scripture. So um, my prayer is I don't leave out things that are pertinent and that it's edifying to you and that uh, you can enjoy it. And I just don't, I don't want to make this a two part, part video. Plus, you'll notice, too, this is a little bit different. I'm shooting this on Zoom. I don't know if this is the format we'll keep from here on out, but the reason why is because I wanted to be able to share my video, my screen, so that you guys can see the um, you guys can see the uh, the scripture. Let me see here. Boom! So now you guys can see the scripture, and we'll walk through it that way. I'm not going to read through the whole 9 through 20, so I, I strongly suggest or recommend that you pause now and read through this prayerfully, and then hit play, and we're, we're going to start at 9 and just work our way through verse by verse to 20. Let me pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray now that I'm able to um, get out of the way and uh, to use me as a mouthpiece, God. I pray that we can uh, experience and see the truth of you and your presence and all that that means. Father God, that we might worship you deeper and that we might grow in likeness to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's just dive right in, okay? Um, so verse, chapter 1, verse 9 of the book of Revelation. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom that, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Let me see if I can move that here. Get me out of the way. Okay. And so we actually had already had an opening from John. We, we've already discussed a lot about how, you know, this is John who wrote this and who that was and the circumstances and who he's writing to and everything else. But here again, you know, in verse four, he kind of um, unpacks that for us. But here again, in verse nine, he, he kind of reintroduces himself. And this is an interesting um, introduction, because if you notice, he says, I, John, your brother and partner. So he's not saying, I, John, the apostle of Christ, the bondservant of Christ, or any one of the other very common openings um, in, the, in the New Testament. No, he, he partners with them and, and reminds them of a brotherhood. In what? In tribulation. So I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation. You know, as we walk through trials and tribulations and difficulties and rejection, uh, one of the probably the worst part about all of that is the feeling of isolation and loneliness as a worthy only ones that are experiencing that. And 
also when we're in that, we kind of begin to get the idea that we're the only ones that really understand uh, what it's like to be in that. And so we're, we're hesitant to listen to people who are speaking into our situation unless they have been there. And so here John wisely connects with the seven churches um, saying that he too is in tribulation. And he says it right here. I was on the island of Patmos. Why was he exiled to the island of Patmos? On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The same reason why these seven churches are experiencing tribulation. So he creates this brotherhood and this partnership by their, their common suffering. Their common suffering. Uh, and he, draw, he, he, gives, he gives them some hope that they're not alone. And also it, put, it bolsters John and what he's about to say and witness to them. Uh, because they know that he understands fully um, what what he's going through. So, um, so he's a part brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. So this is the way this is set up. That um, we know that while the the kingdom of God is now currently valid. It's, it's already here, but it isn't quite yet here yet, right? It's not here in its fullness and its completion. There's still very much a veil going on when it comes to the kingdom of God. And, and those of us that are in this kingdom that are following Jesus, as Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, that means tribulation. It means rejection. It means persecution. It means difficulty. It even means death, that we're to deny ourselves and so in order to get truly to that, to the full revelation, the full unveiling uh, of the kingdom, in order for, for us to receive that, to get there, we must, in this life, while we're walking on this earth, patiently endure tribulation. Why? For, for what? For Jesus and the testimony of Jesus and the word of God, right? For Jesus and the gospel, for Jesus and his word. Um, for those of us that hold true to Jesus and his word and Jesus and the gospel, we're going to have to patiently endure tribulation to get to the kingdom. <clears throat> the good news is, so did John, so did these seven churches, so did <clears throat> every single person who experiences the kingdom. This is the way to the kingdom. There is no shortcuts. We can't be a part of this world and the kingdom. If your Christianity isn't offending some people, if it isn't uh, causing you difficulty and with relationships and maybe at work or, or, or things like that, uh, then it might be that you are not truly following Christ uh, because if you're really following Christ, the world is going to present some level of tribulation to you. Uh, and that isn't to say that we seek out this tribulation. And I don't think being a bully on Facebook counts, um, but we're talking about real life, true, absolute uh, sacrifice and hardship. Let's move on. So verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice <clears throat> like a trumpet. So he's on the Lord, he's worshiping on the Lord's day. This is a Sunday, right? On the Lord's day. And as he's worshiping, he's taken up into the spirit. This is not something that we experience. Okay. We can experience this to, to certain levels, but what he's talking about here is a special revelation, uh, a special witnessing. We just talked about the, um, the, um, the transfiguration on Sunday in, in Mark chapter nine. And if you notice, there's 12 disciples, only three of them got this, 
this this special revelation, this this um this vision. Okay, and this is what he's talking about. This is very special. And so he's taken up into the into the spirit and has presented this vision. And we've already talked about how that take how that took place and where that comes from. We we looked at that in the opening um, uh, weeks. So as he was taken up on the Lord's day in the spirit, he hears it behind him a loud voice like a trumpet. So I want you to picture right now, you're just sitting here watching this video. And now somebody all of a sudden comes up from behind you without you realizing it and blasts right here, stand right behind you, blasts a trumpet right behind you. Just picture, experience that in your mind's eye. What would that feel like? I mean, I mean, that would get your attention. Right. It would whatever you were doing would lose your attention and all of your attention would be placed on what was taking place behind you. It would be loud. It would be clear. And it would it would it would thunder through your whole existence. It wouldn't just rattle your ears. You would feel that in your gut. And, and it wouldn't be something that you could dismiss. See, today, uh, people only only his sheep hear his voice. Only his sheep can hear his voice today, because again, the kingdom of God is veiled, okay? But when he comes back, everybody's going to know, everybody's going to witness, every knee and every tongue, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that everybody will hear him, okay? He's got a voice, like a loud voice, like a trumpet. There is no ignoring this risen, exalted King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And that's who John is, is, is in front of now. So he hears this voice. What's he do next? And the, the, what's the voice saying? The voice is saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists the churches. Okay. We're not going to spend a lot of time with these churches because we're going to, we're not going to do any time right now on these churches because we're going to spend an awful lot of time with them in the weeks moving forward, okay? So these are the seven churches. We know that these are the original um, hearers of the book of Revelation. This is the, the, the reason uh, the, uh, the author wrote originally to these seven churches. We're gonna talk a lot about those seven churches. So um, we're just gonna concentrate here. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So this is actually, this is how God has set up his church. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is what you and I are supposed to do. We are supposed to um, witness, uh, to, to give testimony to what it is we've seen, what it is we've experienced, and what it is we've learned. This is, this is how it all works. Do we do not ever underestimate the power of your witness, of your testimony. And this is something that we should all be looking uh, for opportunities to present as much as as much as possible, praying for opportunities, praying for open doors that I might just witness to share my story, share my share my witness, my witness, my testimony, because God takes my testimony and He does supernatural things with them. This is this is how He has set this up. Um, you know, He doesn't need my testimony. He doesn't need me to witness, uh, but. In his design, he has invited, he has called me on mission with him. His mission is to redeem the lost. He can just go ahead and do that. But instead, he calls me and you, the church, the body of Christ. He set up this body of Christ 
to go out and witness um, to the world, to be priests to the world, to represent God to man and to man to God. Um, and we do that by sharing our testimony, by sharing our um, our witness. What is, what is it that we've learned? What is it that we've seen? What is it that we've heard? What is it that we've experienced? Um, this should be the Christian, one of the Christian's most prized possessions. Um, I encourage you to know your testimony, know your witness, and pray for opportunities. And if you feel shaky, if you feel like you're not super confident in it, it's because you haven't done it enough. I mean, the, nobody gets confident in their testimony or their witness um, <laughs> by thinking it through on their couch, right? I mean, the only way that we get uh, confident in our witness and our testimony is by giving our witness and our testimony. And trust me, my my most ridiculous, feeble attempts, I mean, just, just where I walked away thinking, man, I mean, I wish I had the men in black little mind eraser so the person would forget completely what I just tried to do. And God has used it. I, I promise you, God has used it. And, and that's because it's a supernatural thing. It isn't based on us. We just need to be willing. So before we move on to 12, let me, um, let me just ask you to do this. Just close your eyes for a moment and picture Jesus Christ. Picture Christ. Picture Jesus Christ. I'll give you a second to do that while I take a drink. Okay, picture Jesus Christ. Got the, the picture of Jesus Christ in your head? Okay. Now let's see how your mind's eye, your, your image of Christ in your mind does um, in comparison to what John reports. So in verses 12 and 13, he says, Then I turned to see the voice. Okay, bam, there's this trumpet telling, telling him the right the something down in a book, everything he experiences in a book inside of these churches. So you and I would do the same thing John did. He turned to see who the voice was, who was speaking, that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw John saw seven golden lampstands. Now, we're going to, we're told what these lampstands are. There's no reason to argue or have any kind of uh, interpretation. Jesus makes it clear in verse 20 of these lampstands. These are the seven churches. So each church gets a lampstand. Okay. That's what these are. Lampstand. We should picture this and even think about or think through some of the analogies or um, um, parables that Christ used about the lampstand, right? It is the lampstand is to, to shine light. That's, that's the whole point of the church. Christ church is to shine light into the world. And so each church is represented as a lampstand to this very day. Uh, your church, whatever your church you're a part of, if it actually is indeed a part of the body of Christ, it actually is indeed the church, it will be it will be represented by a golden lampstand. There's seven here because there's seven churches. And of course, now we have to remember that the, the, the number seven, which is used over and over and over and over and over again in Revelation, is a symbol for completion or wholeness. So the seven churches represent the church universal the completion the whole of the church the entire body of the of of christ and what they're going to do is going to go through seven expressions of that um of that body and, and address them so um interesting enough turn to see where is the, where is this 
voice coming from. And in the midst of the lampstands is the one like the son of man. And so we think of Daniel when we see son of man. We also know this is, was one of Jesus's favorite terms for himself. And the implication here is clear. This is deity. Right? This is a deity. So he turns and sees Jesus. This is the only person ever called this son of man. It's Jesus Christ. And where is he? In the midst of the church. He is in the midst of the church. Now, this, if we're putting ourselves in the perspective of the seven churches that it's being written to, as we should, would be both encouraging and sobering. It, it should encourage, and but also um, bring about a command to obedience. And that's exactly what we're going to see in these seven letters, okay? We're going to see encouragement, and we're going to also see judgment. And, um, and, so, and so when we think about this now in terms of our lives and ourselves in the 21st century here, um, in our church, we need to realize this is where Jesus is, is, okay? He's in the midst of our churches. He is at the board meetings. He's at the district meetings. He's at, he was at the, the, the CM, Siena, CNMA council last week. He is in the midst. He is there, okay? And that is indeed incredibly encouraging. Uh, he has not left us. He is right with us. Very encouraging. And it also kind of makes you, you know, if, you're, if your um, boss tells you to do something uh, and then leaves, you're going to do that activity probably with a certain level of um, relaxation, as opposed to if he asks you to do something and then stands there and watches you, watches you do it, okay? Um, this is what we need to realize, that we need to be, and he is serious about this, Jesus. We're going to, again, we're going to talk a lot about that. So, He's in the midst of his churches. That's where Jesus is then, and that's where he is now. He's clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. So he's got this long robe and this golden sash around his chest. And this is to give us a depiction of a priest, high priest, not just a priest, but the high priest. Not, not in Catholicism terms, but um, a priest is to represent. Um, God to the people and people to God. And this is who Jesus Christ is, right? He is our, he's our mediator. Um, and, and this is the high priest. We're called to be priests to do the same thing, but Jesus Christ is our high priest. And we can see that in this description of long robe and golden sash around his chest. 14 and 15, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool like snow so we got to be very um careful to see these descriptive words here right so remember john is witnessing he's up in the spirit witnessing something very supernatural otherworldly and he is doing his best to report to us what it is he's seeing um, although there's nothing really quite like it. There really isn't anything you can point to and say it's just like this. So he's using these descriptive um, words to try to help us get 
an image in our head as to what it is he's seeing. So we know that the hairs of his head are, were white. That's clear. But they're not just white. They're as white as it could possibly get, right? It isn't that his hair is made of wool. It's just that it's like white, like white pure. And there, again, you know, the the blunt, no blemish on the sheep, right? The 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 purity of the of the sheep, um, the purity of the snow. So that that is what that is saying here. That there there's this purity, absolute purity coming from him, holiness coming from radiating off of him. And we saw some of this actually in the the transfiguration in Mark 9, at, uh, the sermon on Sunday. So his eyes, <clears throat> his eyes were like a flame of fire. Okay, so we have, we have priest, but here we have uh, king. We have judge. We have judge here, okay? Um, his eyes were like fire, passionate, passionate about what's taking place on earth, passionate about what's taking place in his church, nothing gets by him. He sees everything. He sees every good deed. He sees every transgression. He sees everything, and he is passionate about what he sees. He will do due diligence in the when the time is to come. Okay, this is what this is depicting. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Okay, again, this is like the transfiguration. You know, it's incredible that there's there is no um contra there's no con contradictory um descriptions between the, the transfiguration and the synoptic gospels and this account in Revelation. Revelation goes further and deeper, but um there is no contradiction. We saw a little bit of this in the transfiguration. And this is just the period again, this is the the um to, to speak of the the purity or the um uh, what am I thinking of? Um, the righteousness. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm sorry. The righteousness of his judgment. So what he sees, he will judge, and there, it'll be a righteous judgment. And here's a second description of his voice. Uh, his, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Okay. There's some Old Testament throwback to this as well. This is the way that God sounded um, when he spoke. We have two descriptions now. It's like a loud trumpet, and it's like the voice of many waters. And uh, this is to say that the voice of Christ is arresting. Again, again um, nobody will hear the voice again. The time is coming when he comes back, when he returns, uh, that uh, nobody will be able to ignore this risen, exalted Christ. And in his right hand, in verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars, okay? Here's where all the controversy comes in. What are the seven stars? Well, verse 20 tells us <clears throat> the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So we know what seven stars are. It's easy enough. Jesus tells us they're the seven angels of the churches. Each church has an angel to represent it. Now, who are the angels? That's where, you know, the controversy comes in. Some people say it is the lead pastor of the church. Um, there's several other um, arguments as to what this might be. Here's where I land on it. I'm okay with being fuzzy. I'm just okay with not knowing exactly. I, I really trust the Bible and the word of God. If, 
if God wants me to know precisely and exactly, uh, he makes very clear. I mean, we have plenty of first-tier theological things that we must hold no matter what. But then there's those second-tier and third-tier things that um, it isn't that they don't matter because they very much do matter. Um, but they're just not, they're, they just don't matter as much as the first-tier things. So here's where I land on this. I think it's a little bit of everything. I, so I take this as, and then to account for myself as being a pastor. Am I the angel of Kingston Alliance Church? No, pro, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't see it that way. I struggle with that. I've, I've read arguments for that, and I just. I don't. I don't see it that way. However, I will say this: my position at Kingston Alliance Church as lead pastor, or, or any lead pastor's position at their given church, is a higher calling than. Um, simple than a simply worldly ambition it isn't a decision to pursue a career at least you pray that it isn't um it is a higher calling and because it's a higher calling it's a higher standard i need to remember that my job my what i do for a living um cannot be done by me if i try as hard as i can and give it everything i've got I will probably end up with some sort of moral failure that pulls the whole structure down over my head and hurts a lot of people. I need to remember that uh, these the seven stars, or the, the the angels, that there is there's a supernatural thing that's taking place that I've been put in lead of, um, and I must never untether from christ we none of us should do that there's no doubt about it but if you're leading one of his churches i mean the, there's just no excuse for other untethering from jesus christ so this gives me this would bring a, a, a true humility to me and reliance upon christ and any success we have it's because of prayer and and um duty to his word, uh, faithfulness to his word, and his supernatural Holy Spirit working in, in and throughout our ministry. It's all his glory and all his doing. Um, and um, any failures that we're having, it's probably because there's too much flesh on the attempt to serve. Um, and so this is this is where I land on this, at least as of right now. And there might people might argue with me. I'm sure they would. And that's okay. I'd love to have a discussion. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Here's the Christ who can bless and curse at the same time, right? This is the this is the Christ, Jesus Christ, that will send you either to heaven or hell, uh, encourage you or judge you. And he will do both in one foul swoop, right? It cuts both ways. And this is what this is depicting. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength so this is this is fun for me because i just i literally just i just did this devotional on this i've been talking a lot about this because i just had this in my own quiet time um this is the light of the world his face was like the sun shining in full strength the sun is a wonderful representation of the holiness of god 
If you think about it, the sun is wholly other. There's nothing on the planet like the sun. It is completely different. It is separate from the planet. It's not part of the planet. It's completely different. The other thing about the sun is that it's dangerous. Um, you cannot just enter into the presence of the sun. The sun. I mean, how many, I used to, I have it written down somewhere, how many miles away we are from the sun, ridiculous amounts of miles away from the sun. And yet this summer, I will probably get burned by it at some point. Um, so you, there's no way you can get anywhere near this, the, the sun, S-O-N. I keep circling S-U-N, but I mean S-O-N. Or S-U-N, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was right. Um, there's no, yeah, there's no way you can get near this, this sun. Um, and even looking at it, gazing upon it for more than eight minutes can, can do permanent damage to your eyesight. You know, and it makes me think of Moses when he wants to see the glory of God. And, and, and God tells him, you can't. You can't look at my face and live. Nobody can do that. And so there's this representation of the holiness. Of God. And yeah, it's good. It is, it isn't that, and this is where I think sometimes we get messed up with the fear of God. I mean, you know, we can't just walk in nilly, willy nilly into the throne room of God. It's dangerous to do. And that doesn't mean that God is bad or angry or mean um, because he's not, he's good. Just like the sun is good. Without the sun, we wouldn't have any life. Well, the sun is life giving it's life-sustaining. It gives us light. Where other, otherwise, we'd have nothing but darkness and death. Uh, and, and this is the same thing with God. But God is the source of light. God is ultimately the source of light. So if we look at Je Genesis 1-3. God says, let there be light. And then there was light. I read that. I don't know. I mean, how many times I've read that. And I just always kind of, I guess, assumed without really thinking about it that that was the sun. But not long ago, I was reading through it slowly, and I realized that he didn't make the sun until many verses later. So the light of the world, really the source of light in the world is not the S-U-N. It's the S-O-N. It's the sun. It's the son of God. Revelations 22 says, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. S-U-N. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. <clears throat> Excuse me. God is the true light of the world. And we can see this in this depiction here and again. And again, the, trans the transfiguration in Matthew's account, he talks about his, the Jesus' uh, face shining like the sun. So let me just reread that over real quick. Picture your picture of Jesus when we started. And let me read uh, straight through the, the account that is given here. Um, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. How, how'd you do? 
How'd you do? I think a lot of us, when we picture Jesus, we picture Jesus in his earthly humility, in his full humanity. And we should, we, we should keep that picture because so many times that is the picture that we're trying to follow. That is the example that he is leading that we're trying to follow and, and be like that Jesus, okay? But we need to add, if we don't already, this picture of Jesus as well, because here he is in his full glory and his full godness. Remember, Jesus is fully man and he's fully God. And I think it would do us well in our own theology, in our own spiritual growth, as we approach the throne room of God, as we pray, as we read about Christ, to have both pictures readily available in our mind and in our hearts. Uh, sometimes we um, might struggle with, with things. We might struggle with sin. We might struggle with um, not forgiving somebody. We might struggle with, with anxiety and fear. Um, and, and, and then we picture Jesus, we just picture, if we just have this humility, um, uh, Christ and all of his humility, humility and, and manhood, um, then I don't know that we're going to be able to move past and overcome the sin or the forgiveness or the anxiety. But boy, if we can put this in our picture, in our hearts and realize this is where he is now in his full exalt. You know, he comes in humiliation, but he he works towards and he is now exalted. And this is who's coming back. This is who we're praying to. This is who is in our midst. Okay, this awesome, mighty, otherworldly, nothing like it, power of powers, king of kings. And so this is why I just love this so much, this description, because it gave me, uh, so I have these two um, images who Jesus is in my head. And in verse 17, this is what happens to John when he sees him. This is John, okay? John is the beloved disciple. Nobody knew Jesus better than John. He sees him, and what does he do? He falls at his feet as though dead. This right here, okay, I think I have my understand my walk with God has um, grown immensely. When I, from time to time, will take time to meditate on the, the description of Christ that we just got, this risen, exalted Christ, and sit there until my spirit or my soul does this, to where I am just undone before the, his presence. This is who we're serving. This is who loves us. See, it's just, it's so much more rich when we understand this is God and everything that that means and entails. And then he loves us beyond our conception. It's, you know, when we did a survey a little while ago, we asked people who we thought Jesus was. And some people, somebody said it's a, Jesus was like a hippie. Well, if a hippie loves you, it's not worth much. But if this loves you, if the, this exalted, incredible, all-powerful king of kings loves you, Man, you, there's not, nothing can be against you. You're unstoppable. We see his love right here. But, he's, but he laid his right hand on me, his important hand, his leading hand, right? Hand on me, saying, now we have to remember, too, you would, like, John would feel part of this was because John just felt so disgusting in this pure presence of this whiteness, this this purity shining on him, you can't help but in contrast just feel like you're just absolutely disgusting. 
Uh, and this, I mean, and then he touches him, his important hand, his dominant hand, his right hand, and puts it on me. I mean, this is just such love, absolute incredible love. And he comforts him, fear not. I am the first and the last. What's he pronouncing here? Fear not. I am. Remember Moses said to, to God, who shall I say is sending me? And God said, you tell him, I am is sending you. This is a similar thing that Christ did for them when he was walking across the water, on the water, I should say. And he went to pass by them to show them a glimpse of him and his glory as he was walking on water, but they freaked out and thought that they saw a, a ghost. And he says this to him, fear not, it is I am. That's lost in a lot of our English translations, but this is what the Greek says. Fear not, it is, it is I am in that, in, that, um, in that scene. So here we got fear not, I am. And then if this isn't enough, if we're going to miss this, he gives us this, the first and the last. We've already talked about how this was already given to God in this book, Revelation. That John assigned, um, assigns this to, to God. This is God. Um, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. This is the, you know, always exist and always will exist. God, fear not, I am God. And he goes on to say in verse 18, and the living one, I died. And this is what he must do for our sins, right? This is to fulfill the prophecies. This was to fulfill what God the Father had established in the beginning, right after the fall of man. Okay, this is what he came to do. He accomplished it and then it, and then he was risen. Okay, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This is I mean, to say this is good news is like I don't I don't I wish it was better language that I could think of right now. This is the greatest news in the world, bar none. There isn't any greater news. I mean, if you got the news right now that you just won ten trillion dollars. It it wouldn't it fails in comparison to this. This is everything, Christian. This is everything that he rose on the third day. He resurrected and is alive forevermore. When we talk about suffering and tribulation and trial, is it worth it? Yes. Yes, because we will be alive forevermore. If he suffered, we're going to suffer in him. But his resurrection, if he resurrected his life forevermore, we are also going to be alive forevermore. Christianity is this, okay? Without this, there is no Christianity. And luckily, we have more evidence of the resurrection of Christ. It's so easy one of the easiest apologetics uh, to discuss is the resurrection of Christ. And I encourage, if you want to be encouraged, I encourage you to look into the evidence of the resurrection. There's just, there's so much out there. And it's, it's a fun, it's fun to study. So I, and I have the keys to death and Hades, right? So I have the keys, this right here, stop right here. In our day and age, if somebody has a lot of keys, they probably are a janitor. But back here in this context, when this was written, this was a sure sign of importance and more, even more so authority. Okay, 
I am the authority of death and Hades. I mean, just an incredible power. I decide who lives and who dies. I mean, it's just nobody's any uh, nobody's more powerful than God. Can we just praise God for a moment and worship how just absolutely, incredibly, amazingly powerful He is, and and the fact that He loves us. I mean, if you, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what to tell you. Finally, verse 19, he says, write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, those that are, those that are to take place after this. And this is what John is doing, right? He, he writes, uh, he's being obedient. He write what he's seen. We, this is what we just are in the midst of right now. He's describing to us what he's seen. We're going to spend several weeks on the things that are. And these are the, this is the letters to the seven churches. Okay, and that those and the things that are going to take place is the rest of Revelation. It's the unveiling of his coming. Okay, so I don't know how long this is running. I'm going to stop there. Certainly, much more that we could say, um, but I don't want to make this too long. And I certainly I encourage you to to, to um, send me any of your. Um, questions or concerns or whatever prayer request i'd love to be able to hear from you if you like this video please 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 um like it in the youtube because the more people that like it the more it gets out there and uh if it's edifying to people then uh, i'd love for more people to to have it let me just give you a few walk-off points before we wrap up uh we can see here that these this passage of scripture is to bring comfort and to summon summons obedience it's to both bring comfort and to summon obedience okay we already talked about that he's in the midst he sees everything he's there's this depiction that we were given i mean the the finality of the depiction that we were given of the risen christ is king judge and priest so god is love he is but he's also justice okay we can't leave that out so this is to comfort us and to summon obedience it also if we remember in the context this is being written to persecuted churches and this was a great reminder to those persecuted churches uh, that God is bigger than any of their trials. And so, you know, in return, this would be for us as well, that God is bigger than any of our trials. Whatever, whatever task we have, however great it seems, or any difficulties or persecution we might be going through, God is bigger than, than all of it. And, and it also uh, is to, to remember the promise that no matter what, Christ church faces, no matter how it looks now, the future belongs to us. That, that should be great news, greatly encouraging, certainly to these seven churches and to us, especially as we move further into a postmodern or post-Christian world. I mean, I believe that the American church is going to begin to face, if it hasn't already um, started, uh, persecution and trials and difficulties that it's never seen before. And we already know, I mean, just even as you read some of the Barna studies, they're um, disheartening. They're, they're disheartening and they're, they're, they make you think and, and challenge the way we're doing ministry and everything else. But um, we have to remember that no matter what, the, the future belongs to us. We're faithful to him and to his word. That's what Jesus said, right? Don't be ashamed of me or the gospel. 
Don't be ashamed of me or what I've said. We must be faithful, not ashamed, faithful, bold in Jesus Christ and his word. And then um, J.M. Hamilton sums this up better than I ever could. This is what he writes. Unlike the Roman Empire, which promised peace but delivered brutality and fear, the kingdom of God promises tribulation, but it delivers peace and confidence in eternal salvation to those who patiently endure. And we can look at the Roman Empire like the world, right? The world promises peace, but yet ultimately it leads to brutality and death. And the kingdom of God, Jesus is clear from the beginning that to follow him is, means tribulation. And, um, and his church will experience tribulation, uh, but he delivers peace and confidence and eternal salvation to those who patiently endure. So I hope that this was edifying for you. I hope that you are able to better patiently endure whatever it is you're going through and maybe even look through your life and see, man, maybe I'm not going through some of this stuff because I'm just not vocal enough about my faith. I'm just not vocal enough about my love of God and the love of Christ. So I, uh, again, I hope this is edifying to you and we're going to stop it here. I don't know how long this has been, but uh, I hope you stayed with me and we'll see you next time.